Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll be continuing our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Jessica Rohr, the owner of Forage Hawaii. We will chat more about locally sourced meats, her pathway into this unique market, and some of the hot topics that come up with meat today. Aloha, Jessica. Thank you for coming and joining us. Hello, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, before we get begin, I always like to start off with a little bit about our speaker, um, Jessica Rohr. She is the owner of Forge Hawaii, a local meat purveyor. A passionate foodie, she has an endless curiosity of all things food-related and has spent the last 15-plus years connecting to food sources. Jessica is also an avid fisher and a water woman and a new mother. How old is your daughter? A son. 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 Yeah, he's about to be seven months. Seven months. Okay. Well, one more thing I like to throw in here just because I know, you know, these are definitely topics that may be somewhat of a controversial topic, which we don't want it to be. So one more small disclaimer for all those listening. This podcast and all our podcasts are purely intended to share information about how we can be more sustainable with the choices we have here in Hawaii. Smart Living Hawaii strives to be a sustainable resource, and everyone has the freedom to make their own sustainable choices. We love to share what others are doing to contribute to their sustainable initiatives and hope we can all respect one another regardless of our personal differences. So if you choose a plant-based diet or maybe a meat-protein diet or a combination of both, this podcast will definitely be an interesting listen. So let's dive in, Jess. Um, let's get started. I like to always start with people's background. So if you can give me some background on growing up and okay. where you started. All right. So I grew up here and in Colorado. I kind of bounced back and forth after my parents divorced when I was young. My dad was a tugboat fish, uh, tugboat captain and He brought home a lot of fish, so I consider him a fisherman, too. Um, And my mom remarried a hunter fisherman. And so growing up, I was exposed a lot to um, the food sources, like the protein food sources. My mom had a garden. She had a little farm. You know, we had some pigs that we ended up having to eat. So that's a little background on me, like as a kid growing up and, and knowing where my food came from. Um, Although I didn't really appreciate it at that point, I do now, of course, doing what I do. Um, But yeah, we, my childhood is very complicated, but that's kind of a little basic. (laughs) And then, um, so what about your family now? Um, So now uh, my son's father, my boyfriend, he's a fisherman as well. Have a thing for fishermen. (laughs) And, uh, you know, my dad has since moved to California. He's like a retired bird watcher. And, uh, um, yeah, I guess with my family, um, I don't know how that really plays into it. But um, I I try my best to, you know, bring that environmental consciousness into my family but I wouldn't say everyone in my family is on board with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you do for fun? Uh, Yeah, fishing is definitely my favorite thing, Um, although I got really into the meat side of things, and I 
have enjoyed hunting and, and that sort of thing. Um, now it's really just focused on my son and, and doing the business. And that's all I've really had time for lately. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's fun, I'm sure. Oh, Can gosh. be a handful, I'm <laughs> sure. And it will just... My daughter's nine, so I didn't have a boy. So I know boys can be rambunctious. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I can see... I would be appreciating a girl once she goes through her teens. I mean, a boy once she goes through her teens. Yes. <laughs> I know. I feel kind of lucky. <laughs> so how did you end up getting into the meat industry? Uh, so, yeah, just back up and kind of go over the, the fishing side of things how I got into that um and really just food in general and maybe I'll just start at um when I went to college at UH um I was a athlete I ran track for University of Hawaii and so my freshman year I took a course in nutrition figuring I needed to learn more about you know how food could affect my performance and I always loved food I always loved cooking and I was just blown away by all the things we knew about food at that time, it was kind of like still the low fat movement. I wasn't, um, yeah, I fully believed that everything I had learned was like the absolute truth and that butter was the worst thing in the world and kind of gave everyone a hard time for all the food they ate after that and um, decided at that point that I wanted to go into dietetics. So uh, I spent about four years studying nutrition. And by the fourth year, you know, the Atkins diet was all the rave and some of my professors were saying, you know, oh, this is actually one of the diets that is like helping people lose weight and keep it off. And I'm like, how could that be? You guys told me this was going to kill everyone. <laughs> so uh, so I kind of uh, wasn't really a f too fond of Western nutrition. And I started to look into the Weston A. Price Foundation and information um, just about the history of eating and ancestral wisdom and I just didn't want to do nutrition. I didn't want to be a dietitian, but I really love business as well. So I had kind of always done some business courses. So I was lucky enough to be able to um, create a major between nutrition and business through the interdisciplinary studies program at UH. And so I graduated with business and nutrition and pretty much never did anything with that degree until I started my business. Um, I worked on boats for the most part. I was, I've always, I grew up sailing, so I've always been um, a boat person. And yeah, I, <laughs> I, that was kind of my transition at that point. Um, after college, I took a break and then, uh, I think I watched the movie Food Inc. And I think that's what like started again. That was like 2008 or something. Uh, resurgence of like, I want to know where my food comes from. And so uh, when I had moved to California for a year and I moved back and I just made this commitment to like eating local, like I was obsessed with farmer's markets. I'd go every single week. And, and this spend... was back in 2008? Yeah, yeah, probably around 2009. And um, I didn't have the money for that, I realized. So I like kind of out of necessity had to start a garden. And that helps me way more because I am not oh, a green thumb. It yeah, no, I wasn't me either at first. To make that like zucchini or cucumber. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was terrible at it at first, and um, and then I the, the thing that I was like got good at it, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, we really got to um, raise the soil before we can raise the food, and learn some really cool concepts there. Uh, but then I was still really hungry for like protein, and. Uh, so I learned about aquaponics at the time. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but... Well, you can share with the listeners really briefly what aquaponics yeah, is. Yeah, so that's using fish, like uh, you have a fish tank and then the effluent from the fish goes through a bed to raise like lettuce or greens. Um, and so it's a fertilizer, basically. It's a closed loop system, so it conserves water. But um, in the end, I was kind of not 
too hot about that eventually. But uh, I also didn't really just want to eat tilapia, which is the main source. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I grew up sailing um, in the Alawai, and so that's like the trash fish. And I was just yeah. like, oh, I want to eat something different. Um, there was uh, I was working on a boat in the harbor at Kiwala Harbor, and a fisherman gave me a bag of mahi-mahi, and it was super fresh. I went home and cooked it, and that was like a turning point for me because it reminded me of the fish my dad had um, brought home when I was at, when, as I was a kid. And I was just like, okay, I got to be a fisherman. This is like what I have to do. So I set that as a goal. And about a year later, I got a job on a fishing boat uh, doing charters. And kind of that started that started my fish like obsession, which actually kind of led to the, the meat thing. Um, How'd that happen? <laughs> so... Uh, met some friends. They were really into providing for themselves, like getting a lot of food for themselves. That was exactly what I wanted to do, exactly what I wanted to learn. Uh, so I was able to tag along on some hunts on the outer islands and really learned at that time. I knew we had deer on the other islands. I just didn't know how invasive they were. I didn't realize there was like tens of thousands of them and that they were a huge uh, reason for environmental damage. So I kind of was brought back to this memory of flying over Molokai and seeing all this red dirt in the ocean. And I remember at the time thinking like, what, what's making all that red dirt in the water compared to like the other islands? Why is there so much red dirt in the water? And it's because the deer, they rip up the vegetation from the roots. And so there's no, there's not enough land cover to hold the soil, right? So then it rains and that goes into water. It suffocates the coral and, you know, leads to a bunch of bad things. It also releases a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. So there's a whole lot of reasons why the deer are bad and invasive, but what I thought from that was, oh my gosh, this is like my solution to red meat. Like <laughs> I want to eat red meat, but I want to eat it in an ethical way, in a sustainable way. And so I was just so jazzed on that. And that's kind of the beginning of how I got into the red meat thing, or, or I'm sorry, the meat thing in general. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess we can move into some of the benefits that, I mean... I remember you mentioning that you were either vegetarian or vegan at some point. Yes. Yeah. So um, when I studied nutrition in college, uh, I read the Fast Food Nation book and half of that book is about the meat industry. And I was just a completely disgusted. Um, you know, I had a meal plan at the time, which is is through Sodexo. And they mentioned that uh, company in the book specifically. So I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm eating like a grade of meat that's like right above dog food and like, <laughs> you can't even buy it at the stores. And so I just became a vegetarian and I did my best to try and get all the nutrients I needed. But um, this is just another example of how everyone's different. I just was really iron deficient and could not meet my iron needs just from a um, vegetarian diet. And so realized after I was like way tired and couldn't think and couldn't concentrate and wasn't doing good in sports that I, I had to include meat in my diet personally. And so that's kind of where I really started trying to find better sources of meat. And that was back when I was like 19 or 20, you know, I'm 34 now. And when I was at the markets at the time, all I could find was like grass fed ground beef from the big island. And I was happy about that, but I'm like a foodie. So I always want lots of choices. So that kind of is a little bit of the history of how I wanted to make more options available for people, which is what we have now at Forage. Awesome. And um, I think you also, I think you just did a blog or a newsletter on being pregnant. Yeah. Oh, did I? I mean, one about the actual, I mean, I guess some of the 
the benefits that if you do partake in meat might be helpful. Oh, yeah. Just for... Well, yeah, that's like one of my um, big big concerns and passions is just to that people know, that women know, you know, the importance of animal foods during pregnancy. And it's, I mean, it deserves a lot of time and consideration and we could talk, you know, about it a bunch, but just in general, you know, um, important, the importance of it. And, you know, if you Google search, is a vegan uh, diet adequate for pregnancy? There's a lot of information that says, yeah, it is. But um, just based on my research and, and it could be, you know, various opinions, but based on the research, I think that it's better to have animal food in your diet during pregnancy. And that's probably really controversial, but we don't have to go into it. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, just when you go to the doctors and I was pregnant once before, so it's just like the omega-3 fatty acids, like the mm-hmm. things that you, you'd like, they're like eat salmon, you know, and, you know, make sure you get enough protein and they're like, add another egg, you know, or yeah. things like that. I know that I've always heard from the doctors, but, you know, at the same time, I guess I never had, you know, challenged myself to not eat meat so I didn't really know um the differences but yeah. actually respect people that have that discipline yeah, I, <laughs> I well, really do I, I like in my newsletters and I need to probably get better about putting on my blog and stuff I really like I just think people should know because we have these like concepts like oh we get vitamin a from plants but we don't you know we get beta carotene from plants which converts in our body to vitamin a which um is not a very good conversion ratio. And so we may not be getting enough if we're only getting up from plants, things like that. There's a lot of different little things in there that we just know the surface of. And if we look deeper, you know, there's um, in the nutrition level, then there's a lot more to the picture and a lot more to the conversation. Um, But it kind of does take a science background sometimes to understand that. So that's why I go into detail in some of my newsletters, trying to help people understand um, these sort of things. So if somebody is interested in listening to or reading your newsletters, how do they go about signing up? Yeah, so on the um, on my homepage, porchwhite.com, if you scroll to the bottom, there's a little link uh, for the newsletters. And hopefully I organize some of the past newsletters because I do spend a lot of time on them and do she a does. lot of research. <laughs> and uh, just for the people that do really like to know all the details, uh, I'll, I'll make them more available. I have reposted some of them on my blog that's on my website as well. So you can go through uh, through there. Yeah, they're pretty uh, detailed, so you can kind of read through them and learn a lot um, and have different perspectives. And so what I wanted to do now is move more into Forage Hawaii, which is your company, and um, maybe talk a little bit more about what you do. Like, I know that you do have some events sometimes, and Mm -hmm. whether you host them or partner, maybe you can tell us about um, how they are and what you do. Yes, definitely. I and also just to mention really quick um, how I forage did used to be a food truck. That's how I started because I didn't really finish from my fishing story. But uh, basically, I wanted to make the venison more available, started selling venison tacos basically out of a food truck and realized I wasn't going to reach that many people. And so the meat market um, being more present and more available for like home chefs uh, was kind of where I um, evolved into. So, But it all comes from like this idea of a hunter-gatherer background, which is you can read more about on my website. So, um, yeah, so now we pretty much, we're just a pop-up meat market. I sell frozen vacuum sealed local meats that people can take home and cook. 
we have a couple of jerkies too. And then I do every once in a while do some prepared stuff. Right now, bone broth is really big. I make bone broth. And um, we, I try to do events. Uh, we do some farm to table events that include a lot of education. And I'm kind of taking a break right now because with the baby <laughs> getting bigger, we're going to have a little bit of a break, but they're advertising the newsletters. We try and always um, t- get a go through a topic for each of our events so that people can learn about whether it's invasive species or seafood, you know, or, or um, a specific farm, you know, like pork, that sort of thing, then people can know the details. Because really, uh, my mission is to make local meat more available, but also to educate because there's a lot of gray area with meat production that people don't understand about. You know, you can go to the farm and volunteer on the farm and see the veggies and pick them. And, but with the meat, there's, you know, a lot of stuff that's hidden and rightfully so because it's kind of uncomfortable. It involves death and um, taking lives and stuff. So, but there's a lot of us out there that want to know more. And I think the more we know, the more that we'll respect the animals and uh, fight for better conditions and, and really, I guess, savor every bite and not waste that sort of thing. Yeah. And so what are, um, how do we buy your products? Yeah, so I am at the Kaka'ako Farmer's Market on Saturdays. That's at Ward and Alamoana, right across from the old Fisherman's Wharf, Kiwala Harbor. And Saturday from 8 to 9. We also have a market in Waianae at the Waianae Mall, which is put on by the Comprehensive Coast um, Hospital. And that one is really unique because they offer, they accept EBT. And they also have a grant-funded program that allows uh, um, EBT customers to pay only half of like whole foods, real foods, like produce, dairy, eggs, meat. And so eating, you know, for the environment or eating consciously often is more expensive. But this is a perfect example of how, you know, we're making it affordable for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on Sunday at Kailua Farmer's Market from 830 to 12. And that's pretty much all I do right now, besides a few other pickups. Like we have a pickup on the North Shore once a month at Waihuana Farm. And Sundays you can pick up in Kapolei in the afternoon. So they would just order online? Yeah, I have an order form online. And I kind of am focused on that just because uh, it does take a lot of organization. Yeah, and it does. It's also limited because, you know, I'm working with ranches and farmers and Um, hunters that have a limited supply at the moment because we don't have a huge infrastructure for local meat. Um, It's growing for sure, but sometimes, you know, we're only got so many steaks or so much of this. So uh, we'll see. Eventually, I do have plans to try and make meat more available. That's my whole thing, making local meat more available. Yeah. So could you say who some of the partners that you have or meats that you sell the ranch? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So um, I get most of all of my beef from Kauai, from the leeward side, which is Makaweli Ranch, and they pronounce the W. That's the Niihau dialect. And they are an awesome ranch. I, I love them because, um, for one of the reasons we're talking about sustainability and meat, is they have their own hydroelectric power plant. So um, all their, ele- all their um, power is renewable energy, basically, until that th- the shipment start- comes to Oahu, of course, that's using fossil fuels. But prior to that, they're vertically integrated to have their meat packing. Everything is under that hydroelectric power plant. And so reno- total renewable energy really um, bringing down the carbon footprint of that ranch. They also practice regenerative agriculture, which we can talk more about, um, which actually helps store carbon into the soil. 
and um, also mitigates the greenhouse gases from, from the animals. And then for the venison, a really amazing company, Maui Nui, is, uh, has a USDA certification to hunt wild venison um, on Maui. It's the only venison of its kind that's USDA certified. Everything else is farmed on the mainland um, or anywhere else, anywhere else you'd get it from. And so Hawaii is super unique. That's kind of where Forage started from. It was my biggest passion. You know, they make a couple of jerkies. And when they were first going at it, um, I was, you know, they were selling to restaurants. And that's actually kind of how I started the meat market. I was like, hey, are you guys selling this? Um, can, and they're like, no, can I sell it? Okay. So uh, that's really what started it. Um, and then I have, a, I do have another little story about how I got into the beef side of things. But it really started with the venison uh Primarily, and then we sell Nihau lamb and antelope, which is like totally wild on Nihau, no fences. Antelope. Yeah, another one that's. Got, is it like? Does it taste like venison? Um, it's to me, it's less gamey, and I have a lot of customers that would say it's less gamey. It's oh, super cool. lean in the same way the venison is. Uh, the venison that Maui Nui has as well is Axis deer, so that is the least gamey um, deer deer species. It's a tropical deer species which actually one of the reasons it's so invasive is because it reproduces year round and they don't have any predators here. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, um, the venison is awesome. That is like my biggest love in terms of the meats. That's my favorite. Um, I also am lucky enough to have another invasive species, which is the macnut wild boar from the big Island. And they consider the macnut because they trap the animals in the macnut farms. So these animals are eating a lot of macnuts they're not really gamey. They're super fatty. And um, they have, yeah, most a lot of people on the Big Island are familiar with it. And you'll see it in the restaurants there. Uh, but it's really unique products, super delicious. I like it even more than regular pork. Uh, but we also have a really great pork product um, through David Wong's farm on, on the west side. And he has Here a... On Oahu. Yeah, on Oahu. And so he has a really unique um, process of farming where he integrates Korean natural farming, which utilizes a lot of probiotics and like ecosystem principles and it's called a deep litter system so they're in pens where the comp they're like naturally composting their effluents so they don't have a manure lagoon which is the biggest issue with pork is these manure lagoons and you'll see you saw that when we had like all the weather issues on the east coast and the manure lagoons um, you know were, were over flooding and like toxic waste everywhere so they don't have that they also use um waste, uh, food waste. So spent beer grains from the beer companies, expired produce, these things are converting food waste into uh, high quality protein. And when we're talking about sustainability in meat, uh, one of the biggest emitters of green ha- greenhouse gases is food waste. So if we can reduce our food waste, us personally, and then also reduce it by feeding it to animals, then we're creating a protein source from this food waste and reducing our greenhouse gases. I do sell chickens as well, although that's like my least favorite meat out of all the meats. Um, but we have a couple different chicken farmers on the island that I source from, and I'm really happy to be able to offer that as a product. We hopefully will have some quail soon, really? which is exciting. And then where does the quail come from? Um, one of our chicken farmers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Once it gets, well, yeah, it's in the works. And then we also have a rabbit farmer, which um, rabbits, they reproduce really quickly. So another option for sustainable meat and that we just do on order because we have just a limited supply. Interesting. Yes. We sell fish at our Sunday and wine markets as well. Yeah. 
I know there's, we did do a podcast with Sustainable Coastlines. They kind of dove into the fishing industry as well, <laughs> which I learned a lot about. So if you um, want to learn more about the fishing industry, definitely check out that podcast. Um, let's see. We kind of tackled a lot of things pretty quickly. Um, but some of the things that you just briefly went over, I wanted to see if we can dive in a little bit deeper. So I know that um, with the venison, the invasive um, animals in the environment, and that was on Maui, right? Um, yeah. Could you explain, I guess, I don't, I mean, I don't, I never knew how that process works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't know what they do or how they decide or anything but it's pretty interesting to know what they do and why they do it. You yeah, know? it's a really cool process. And um, I mean, I probably won't do it justice, but I, I was lucky enough to go on the hunt with them when I first started Forage the, with the meat market. And um, they do a really unique process where they hunt the animals at night. And one of the requirements by the USDA is that they get a perfect headshot because uh, they have to be rendered unconscious immediately. So anything that doesn't get a perfect headshot goes to pet food. But uh, they have a USDA inspector on site. They have a mobile slaughter unit. And they use military-grade night vision to get that perfect shot. And they go all night. And then, um, and then yeah, so th the process is, the reason it's so awesome is because when you're looking at the quality of the meat, well, you could go from the humane standpoint of those animals don't see it coming. You know, they're dying instantly. They don't suffer. They're wild. They're free. They live a great life up until that one bad day. But um, it also increases the quality of the meat. So when the animal is stressed, it releases hormones. That's in the meat. And when they can uh, kind of just die instantly like the way that they harvest cows and sheep and all the other animals, it actually improves the quality of the meat. The less stress on the animal, the better the meat. Um, so that's another reason that's a great process. Um, but those guys are just hard workers. I mean, they're up all night doing this. And they originally started just from the, um, uh, they're harvesting the animals for the state, basically, or for ranchers. or mm -hmm. Because they need to be eliminated, the state actually pays people to just go out and get rid of them. And they started this business as a way to, like, utilize the meat. So um, you can read more about it on Maui Nui's website. But um, I hope I do them justice. But <laughs> it is, like I said, one of my favorite meats. Yeah, and then with the regenerative agriculture, could you, I know that you mentioned that as well with Kauai's um, makaweli mm -hmm. and how that how that plays into more sustainable meat source and everything. Yes, that is a great topic right now that's getting more and more popular, like especially in the grass-fed community. And um, I'll tell you a little story about how I kind of got keen on this. I was really just selling the venison and not really thinking of the beef side of things too much. I kind of just had that same idea in my head that probably most people do that, oh, just beef are just like the worst animal ever. I mean, they're terrible for the environment, right? Like cows are the worst. And so I kind of had that idea, but I, you know, wasn't going to stop eating them. I figure if they're raising the right way, at least I was doing something better. And I had a conversation with Jack Butel, who runs Kunoa, as one of the partners for Kunoa Cattle Company, and they run the largest slaughterhouse in the state. And he said something that kind of sparked my interest. He's like, well, I really believe cattle um, can be part of the solution to climate change. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so that was actually where I started. Uh, it was a few years ago. And I just kind of went into the research to try and figure out what he was talking about. 
he told me a story about working on his uncle's ranch and, and seeing a plot of land that was like preserved by the state, you know, fenced off. And then next to that was um, where they were raising cattle. And I mean, it was like dead compared to alive, you know, like where the cattle were, there was like perennials flourishing, lots of green grass. And then where they had like preserved it, you know, it was all dead. And so I think I'm, he kind of described his eye-opening moment to that. And, and that's kind of where I kind of come from is like, once you get into it and once you're in nature and you're experiencing this and you're seeing the, <clears throat> the ecosystems and the livestock, you kind of realize that like, oh, maybe these aren't the worst things in the world. And maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, we're just need to do a better job. And maybe we just need to raise our animals better because I am definitely on board with factory farming, not being good for the environment and not being sustainable. But I really do believe that there's a way to do it. Um, and there's science to back it up, that there's a way to do it where it's actually beneficial to the environment. So regenerative agriculture is basically, it's not even just sustainable. It's like making the soil better. And all our life comes from the soil. All our plants come from the soil. My baby was from the soil, you know, like the food that I ate made that. And when we die, we're going to go back to the soil. So um when we look at like food that we eat, I kind of wish that we would look at, you know, what does it do to the soil? So regenerative ag has, there's a lot of um, research going on right now that's kind of new, but is showing that, you know, when, when ruminants are properly managed on a plot of land and hopefully grasslands that they're meant to be on, that they can actually offset all their carbon emissions and their methane emissions. And so they can actually be beneficial to the environment and improve climate change. And there's a couple of studies that have showed this recently. One was um, Michigan State with Jason, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Um, they showed that on their in their area, and it's it's definitely like isolated to where you're at. You know, it's like maybe on this soil it wouldn't be the case or that soil. But for their study, they showed that. And then White Oak Pastures just did one showing the same same results. Um, and so something to think about when we're thinking about whether you know cattle, because they're the ones that are probably the most vilified, are um, sustainable to eat, is ruminants evolved 90 million years ago. Okay, They have the ability to digest grass, um, something that we can't eat. And when they do that, the bacteria in their stomach and their rumen um, emits methane. And that's just a natural part of the system. Our mother nature created that. And, um, and there's checks and balances. So we have a healthy soil, there's bacteria that absorb methane. And that's one of the checks and balances between a ruminant and the soil and the ecosystem. So once we get it right and we set them in their proper ecosystem, they actually balance themselves out. And then on top of that, a lot of the carbon associated with cattle has to do with feed. You know, when they're not fed corn or soy, then you get rid of a lot of that. And then also transportation, other things like that. So um, I could probably do a whole podcast or somebody more... Uh, like versed in it could do a whole podcast just specifically on cattle because they are the biggest targeted um, species or uh, livestock that we that we consume. Um, but the numbers have really been, I guess, inflated by journalists and the mainstream media to be like some say worse than transportation. Um, when you look at the numbers that the EPA and like the FAO are putting out, all of agriculture and um, together combined. On the U.S. and a global level, U.S. it's a little bit less, but it's between 9 and 14% at the highest um, of all the greenhouse gases emitted. So agriculture in general, this is including crops and everything, is kind of a small piece of the pie compared to like transportation, um, energy, and um, oil and gas extraction, which is the biggest methane emitter. Um, 
So I'm kind of, yeah, like I'm, yeah, I just I think for, I mean, maybe a lot of our listeners, they may not know the depths of everything that you're describing, but what I can do too is, you know, we can put some, you know, some of her blogs up as well, or oh, yeah, you know, yeah, links and things like that. If you want to learn more from um, her perspective, and then you know, I definitely had listened to some podcasts and different things on both sides. Um, you know, so we can definitely post those as well, so you can kind of listen in and and then make your own decisions on what you what you yeah, find. Yeah, it's definitely a hotly debated subject, yeah. and um, you but, know, yeah. And the one thing that I definitely always want to get across to all of our listeners and all of our um, people that come to Smart Living Hawaii to learn is that um, everybody has their own opinions. And my, um, I think the biggest thing is if we respect each other and um, we love on each other, then we will definitely, you know, be able to move forward on the things that we do agree on, you know, yeah. and, you know, that's my goal is because we're not always going to agree on everything, but the things that we do agree on, if we can move forward on those, then we'll be a much better Hawaii. Totally. <laughs> Maddie Lynch um, made a good point of, you know, making sure we are finding our common allies and not, you know, getting all caught up in arguing about, you know, this or that. But I do um, challenge everyone to know where you're getting your source from, you know, like if I'm going to say, you know, this percentage of this, like I want to actually go and see where that information came from and like how it came about, you know, a lot of the stuff with the cattle, they're just looking at the output and not the input, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. when you really get into the details of it, I mean, at the end of the day, none of it's perfect science, none of it's perfect fact. And um, that's why I like to just go back to look at the history, look at the, um, uh, yeah, the history of our planet, you know, and mm -hmm. how many ruminants, for instance, were on the planet compared to how many are now. Things like that, where we're not just looking at the surface, we're not being myopic about it, we're really looking at the bigger picture. And um, and that kind of helps to, yeah, I guess, just give you more insight. Well, I think, too, is that we understand that um, to eat more sustainably, like, like this type of meat, for example, it does cost more. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I look at it when I look at chocolate, I used to just, as a kid, eat whatever chocolate there was. And then I realized, wow, that's a lot of sugars. That's a lot of fat. That's a lot of calories that I'm taking in. So now it's like, okay, I'll just have a couple, you know, good pieces of a really good quality chocolate yeah. instead of eating that whole candy bar, right? So I kind of look at it like that when it comes to meat personally. I try to, you know, and if we can do that a little bit more you may not eat as much of it you know or you definitely try not to waste it because you know how expensive it is yeah. you're gonna eat all of it right yeah. Um, yeah and I have customers that you know eat hardly any meat and I have customers that only eat meat and I have all these customers that have solved their autoimmune disorders from eating meat which I've learned so much from my customers and I really appreciate everybody who shares their their journeys with me and their stories and any information they've learned, but, you know, try to be respectful always. Uh, and, yeah. and, and just I stay open minded. True. I think it's really true to look and see where the meat comes from. I think a lot of people that are green to green, um, don't actually realize, um, that. So one of the, um, meats that you brought in, which I thought was very interesting today was the Redondo hot dogs. Oh, yeah. Um, you know those red hot dogs that you're like, this is, what's in this? <laughs> I don't know. Well, 
Could you tell us a little bit more about what um, yeah. that, that's all about and what they're I doing? I like that product because it's a, a really good example of how we vote with our dollar. I grew up eating, you know, red dogs, Redondo's dogs. And uh, Redondo's, all of their products are made with imported factory farm meat. And there's probably lots of fillers and things in them that not everyone would agree with. But they have partnered with Kunoa to do a local beef hot dog that's got no nitrites, no fillers. And it's like, I, I call it the guilt-free hot dog. But like I said, my favorite part about that is just it's it's a perfect example of the consumer's um, changing things because Redondo's probably was never going to do that until there was a demand for it, you know, and now there's a demand for it. So I love that. It is hard, you know, in Hawaii where everything's expensive to spend the money. Grass-fed beef sometimes is twice as much as factory farm beef. And then some of the wild meats, because the process uh, that it takes is even more expensive than beef. And um, that's why I kind of sometimes try and inspire people to, you know, go out there and do it yourself. Like, go hunt a deer. We've got tons of them <laughs> if you want to. But <laughs> yeah, if you can't, if you don't want to, to, exactly, if you don't want to, you know, just maybe um, figure out a way to eat out less. I mean, people have no problem spending $75 at dinner. But then with your food that you cook at home, you know, oh, I don't want to spend more than, you know, five bucks on meat. So it's really just priorities. But you know, to each his own. Some people may decide that, that, that that's not the way to go. I mean, you could be just as environmentally friendly by not having kids or riding a bike, you know. <laughs> uh, but if you do or trying to like, make the choice in your diet to be more sustainable and you want to eat meat, then we have a really good option for that. And um, in some cases, it can be more sustainable than eating, you know, some of the plant-based agriculture. Yeah, I think it just depends. And I think with sustainability, everybody's going to make their own choices. No one's ever going to be perfect and, you know, zero waste, zero, yeah. you know, emissions. And um, to strive for that will probably drive you crazy. <laughs> so everybody, you know, teach his own. And that's one thing I like to always um, kind of leave with is that um, just to respect each other and what everybody's choices are and keep an open mind. You yeah. know, and educate. Educate is very, you know, that kind of reveals a lot of the blinders on people. And once they do see, um, you know, something will change in them and then they will make their own decisions as to why they decide to be more sustainable in one area more than the other. And um, every little bit helps. That's all I like to say. <laughs> yeah. But um, is there anything else you would really like to share with everybody that you haven't really we haven't really covered yet? Um, probably <laughs> if I can think on my feet right now. Um, yeah, I just probably, um, put some links to some articles that I've wrote. If you want to know more about the greenhouse gases associated with livestock. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, it's just, if we can reduce the amount of factory farm meat that we're eating, you know, some people are not going to say no to that cow bee plate because, it's bomb. Like it's really good. <laughs> but if you can include some more local meat, you know, regenerative ag sort of meat and, and emit some of that factory farm stuff. And then some people will, you know, completely say, I'm not going to eat any factory farm meat. I mean, we can, you know, all probably agree that factory farm meat is not a great thing. Um, maybe some people wouldn't, but I think that if we can just um, think more about the source of our meat. You know, if you really want to know details, like come ask me. I am like the biggest blabber at the markets of all the details <laughs> of where everything comes from. You know, maybe I say more than some people want to know. But if you want to know something 
about your meat. I mean, that's pretty much what I've been trying to do is figure out all the ins and outs. You know, I've been to the slaughterhouses. I've watched them. I've been to the processes. I've been to the farms. And I make it a point to try and get that information so that I can share it with everyone um, so that you can make the a choice based on knowledge and not just like fear or, you know, headlines. And so, you know, it's my subjective experience, but I'm happy to share it with anyone. Yeah, yeah. so we can definitely put down... Um, where you'll be at every day. I mean, for the farmer's markets, yeah. definitely that on top of the podcast um, info sheet. So then we'll have the links there in addition to um, where you can find her and talk to her in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and anyways, but I think, I think that wraps it up. Do you have anything else to add? I know that we were very surface on a lot of things that we talked about, but I know that if we dove into any one of these things, it would probably go on for two hours. So. Yeah, I just <laughs> like know. to plant the seed. To There's lots of information out there if you know where to find it, and, and I'm a good resource for that. Yeah, so, I mean, if we do dive into meats and uh different retrospects will probably just cover a specific one of these topics with um you know an expert in that field and then you know you'll learn a little bit more on those in the future but as for now i think that wraps things up and thank you jess for joining us and talking to us about your life in the world of meats and For all that is listening, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.com. Also follow us on Instagram at at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and like us on Facebook. Mahalo. Until next time, live smart. Thank you, Christina. Okay. Mahalo.